millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. This week's episode of Book Cheat is brought to you by Audible. Start listening with a 30-day Audible trial and your first audiobook plus two Audible originals are free. Just visit audible.com slash bookcheat or text bookcheat to 500-500. Hello and welcome to Book Cheat, the book club podcast where I've read the book so you don't have to. My name is Dave Warnke and on each episode of this show we look at one of the classics. And joining me today from the Two in the Think Tank podcast, today there's three in here. It's Alice Trauma Virtual, Andy Matthews and me. Whoa! Hello! <laughs> I realised as I said that I wanted to say there's three in the Think Tank, but I didn't quite manage to get that out of my mouth and it, instead it sounded like I was about to introduce three guests. Yeah, yeah. sure. But that's okay. It is the same tank. We are currently in the same tank mm-hmm. as it's, we normally it's do. Still go think on. Tank, even do when... go on. Really, is three in the think tank. Yes. But then again, nobody's doing any thinking. It's a listen tank, and it's only two people listening, one person talking. Yeah. So that's why you guys can't call your show three <laughs> in the think tank. One person's pre-thought or pre-worked, written a report. Mm. It's just uh, not as catchy a title, though, yeah, is it? Exactly. <laughs> well, how are you guys? Thanks for joining me. Thank uh, you so much, Dave Warnicky. Yeah, thank you for being joinable. Thank you mm. for having the um, you know, the sort of the 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 uh, the curvy in bit of the puzzle piece that is us. Thank you. I feel like we meshed together you've perfectly. Really, you know, mm. when by having so many guests on your podcast, you've really helped mesh a community together. Mm. Structurally you. sound. Some mm. people say I should be knighted. Who? <laughs> it's you, isn't it? Dave? Yeah, but I'm, that's still I'm some. Re- I'm really pushing for it. I'm yeah. really pushing for it. I'd like that. If I got knighted, yeah, because then it would only like, especially it's one of those Australian knighthoods. It'd just be you and Sir Peter Cosgrove <laughs> and Prince Philip. Philip. Mm. Those would be the only Australian knights. Maybe you can still go and get Tony Abbott to give you one personally if mm. you ask him. I reckon. He's probably doing that now. Yeah. It's probably a service. <laughs> He's about to appear at your party and knife you. It's $200 and he'll be there. He's on Cameo or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tony gives you a video shout out. Yeah. Uh, g'day uh, to Dave. Uh, hi. I hereby knife you. <laughs> Extra 50 bucks and he'll do it in the original budgie smugglers. <laughs> Here's some local references for you. Yeah, that's if you're overseas. Uh, Tony Abbott is a bit of a dickhead. Okay, Mm. you're up to speed there. Uh, So it's a book uh, club podcast, essentially, where I have read the book, but I do often ask my guests if they've been reading anything lately. And we must check in, first of all, with Alistair to see if you've progressed any further (laughs) into the novel you've been reading for seven years. Well, you know what? (laughs) Because of your podcast, uh, a friend and listener of our show... uh, uh, Brian Colella. Oh, hello, Brian. I'm sure he's listening. Has a podcast, uh, has has heard, and he had also started a podcast where he interviews people who've read a book. 
called Book Nookie. Right, about their favorite books. He has to tell me about this. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. And he got me to finish the book for that. And it turns out there's only like 30 pages left. (laughs) (laughs) After seven years? Yeah, after seven years, only like 30, 35 pages. And it turns out really wraps together real nice. And I really enjoyed it. So, because I think one this of the was reasons, White Noise by Don DeLillo. And uh, you always claim that to be your favorite book. It was my favorite book. But, you'd never, but now you finished it. Mm. Is it still your favorite? or did You know what? At the end, there is a fair bit of plot. Oh, right? okay. Bit of a wrapping up, too many loose ends. Well, because I think one of, one of the things I liked in the book is the kind of there was nothing that much happening, right? And then at the end, it's almost like he's making fun of the idea of a plot. And he has a very intense, very plotful final 30 pages. Mm, that's kind of like the movie adaptation. You know mm. how like it takes that turn and then suddenly all this stuff happens. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Kaufman was inspired by Delilah. White that noise. might be an adaptation called Adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so glad you fit. I'm so excited for you. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, it's great. And so I've started reading two other books. One. <laughs> oh, no. no. Stop. Yeah. Just pick one. I know. One is uh, got, I think, the word cat in the title, and it's by Kurt Vonnegut and, then, and Brian. Oh, Brian Cat's, Cat's Cradle. Cat's Cradle. Great book. And so cat and, in the hat. and Brian sent me that. And then while I was at a fate the other day, I picked up Spy Catcher, mm. and I'm starting to read Spy Catcher, which is nonfiction. That's, isn't that uh, Malcolm Turnbull's book? No, no. Malcolm Turnbull defended the, the guy who wrote it, who's a former MI5 yes. uh, like assistant director. Mm. And he apparently knew of a mole who had been in MI5 or MI6, one of the mm. two, and uh, and then was like, he, he always suspected it. And so I think it's a book about this, about trying to out this person. Yeah, we're really name-checking former prime ministers I, on this podcast. Yeah, this is good stuff. <laughs> well, today we are talking about Bob Hawke's autobiography. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is not true. Well, uh, Andy, have you been reading anything? Uh, well, I, you know, I think last time I was on... Gosh knows how long ago I, I was reading uh, Tim Flannery's book, Throw Em Way Leg, about going to uh, Papua New Guinea. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And uh, I finally finished that, uh, and that was great. And I've started a new one um, that I just found in an op shop, a uh, uh, George Orwell book, but I'm not so sure about it. can't even remember what it's called right Animal now. Farm? No. 1984. No, it's neither of those ones. Burmese Days. It's called Burmese Days. Right. And it's a story about a guy having a bad time in Burma. But um, Myanmar, mm. probably because he was calling it by the wrong name, and everybody was a bit <laughs> tetchy towards it. Yeah. <laughs> he discussed that he gets a lot of grimaces. Yeah. Also, he was wearing his Ansan Suki shirt, but from before, <gasps> everybody knew that she was a bit a bit a bit problematic. Yeah. And um, yeah, he's getting cancelled left, right, and centre. <laughs> but uh, you think there's a reason that that's one of his lesser known works? Uh, not, not doing it for you. Yeah, it could be. It's like. And it is, it is maybe a little bit problematic. I'm not sure yet whether or not the book itself is a, perhaps a bit racist because so far the um, the Burmese characters aren't coming off all that great. Mm. So, you know, but you think there's still time? Oh, yeah. They could be redeemed in the last yeah. 30 pages where there's lots of plot. <laughs> yeah. Turns out they were the heroes all along. Mm. Are you reading anything? Uh, well, I have read half a book. And yeah. we're going to talk about that half today. Okay. And that is uh, the subject of today's episode, uh, which is uh, Vladimir Nabokov's uh, most famous work, Lolita. Boo! Boo! <laughs> I, want to, <laughs> I just thought I'd... Not to preempt anything, Alistair. <laughs> I just thought I'd, you know, started by setting the tone that we, we don't approve of what the man in this book does. No, I'm going to come out with a strong pro... <laughs> 
Um, yes, Lolita stance. Oh, what are you pro here? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, well, just, 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 just for just for a bit of light and shade. Um, yay! I don't know yeah. the details of the book. Right. Yay! I assume it's defensible on some level. Yay! <laughs> Uh, yes, for better or worse, that is the topic of today's uh, episode. Great. Yeah, how are you feeling having read half a book, Dave? Well, I've got to tell you, uh, it's quite full on, so we're, mm, we'll understand. Okay. It is extremely well written. Yeah, okay. He is he's a, a very good writer. Yeah, and, I th- and a lot of people will tell you that this is the best book of the 20th century. Whoa, okay. Often oh. in... No typos at oh. all? No. <laughs> there is actually one, and he, uh, <laughs> and, uh, he says, note to editor... Don't change this. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. I really like that. But back yourself. That's the lesson, I think, for all of us in this. Uh, That's what I take away from Lolita. Strong convictions. <laughs> so it's a, it, was, it was published in 1955 by a Russian-American novelist, Vladimir Nabokov. Uh, many mm. authors consider it the greatest work of the 20th century, as I just said. And uh, Nabokov originally wrote his books in his native tongue of Russian. Mm. Then later on, for an extra challenge, decided to write things in English. And this one was written in English, and it's infuriatingly good for someone whose first language is not English. Yeah, well, you had a bit of that with with, with your Joseph Conrad, didn't you? Yes, he didn't speak English until until his twenties, and yeah. then was one of the most famous authors of that century. What did he speak before that again? Polish, wasn't he? Was he Polish? Yeah, Polish. Yeah. Was his name? Oh, I mean, I know we should have covered this on that episode. We did probably cover this mm. on that episode that because I, I was on it. Um, was his name not always Joseph Conrad? No, I think it was. Okay. Well, that's fine. We don't need to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, write in if you're listening, Joseph. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yes, it's an extremely well-regarded work of fiction. Maybe, um, maybe maybe it's a trick. You know, maybe that's one of the things where, like, when you learn a, langu- a second language later in your life, you're somehow better at it. Like, it's like, you know, picking up the banjo after you've been playing the guitar or something. You've, you've got a bit of a head start. Maybe we speaking English all our lives is actually a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? And that's the reason none of us has written the definitive novel of the 20th century. That's my only reason. Yeah. Well, you know, I spo- I, I've spoken English all my life. Speaking English? Mm. I can't remember. Spaked. I've spaked spaked English. (laughs) I spaked English all my whole life. But but I only started writing it when I came to Australia. Ah. Well, there you could. You could have a great novel in you, Alistair. Do you think I might have a good novel? I reckon. Yeah. I mean, maybe half a good novel since, since, you know, it's not quite entirely what these people Mm. have done. But, you know, anyway. Do you think it works the other way? If I move to Poland or Russia, will I write? the best novel in their language. Unfortunately not. No. We're doomed. We're doomed <laughs> to be, to by our command of the language that we're working in, unfortunately. I, I'm glad that, that is actually fortunately not for me. I could not be bothered learning yeah. Russian to a degree that I could write a fantastic <laughs> novel in the language. Uh, but this is suggested by a lot of people, this one. So thanks to these people. You can suggest a book. There's a link in the description of this episode. Andy, you can tell me why I should do it. Uh, thanks to these people. We've got Marty Grievous from Melbourne. Isaac from Melbourne, Gigi White from Melbourne, Daisy Stoddart from West Sussex, Kimmy from the UK, Andre Selvik, uh, Selvik from Norway, and Sigurbjörg from Iceland, all writing in to tell me to do this. That's great. These sounds like some great listeners, and I'd love to for them to listen to our podcast. Please. <laughs> and what podcast is that? Two in the Think Tank. <laughs> no, you, I, you know that, Dave. Yeah, I was setting you up radio ad style. Oh, tell me more type of thing, even no. though I obviously know that no, your show. I know, I, know, I know you know, and I was setting you up oh, no. dumb guy style. Oh, no. <laughs> Andy, what were you doing? I was just sitting here having a good time, <laughs> watching two masters at work. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the back and forth was just 
You were flawless. Yeah, you couldn't. You could, I mean, a day to try and step mm. in there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was. It was like Bjorn Borg and um, Danny DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> Bjorn Borg is he the ABBA guy? No, no. Okay, but that would have been good too. That's Bjorn Olvaeus. Because isn't there Bjorn Lomborg as well? Uh, yeah, the head of uh, that climate denial, change denial yeah. think tank. Anyway, yeah, there's a lot of Bjorns. Yeah, and a lot of Borgs. Lomborg yeah. and Borg. Let's continue <laughs> with the book. Let's continue, or should we start? Start sure. with the book. Uh, do you guys know much about Lolita? From what I know, it's a guy who falls in love with a teenage girl. Mm. who is not of legal age. Mm. I wish I could tell you she was a teenager. I do. Really? Very young. Yeah, okay. Disambiguous. Nine? Nine? (laughs) At least bordering on double digits? Twelve. Oh, she's twelve. Okay. Ah, interesting. See, I consider a 12-year-old a teenager. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah. But not... Tween. Do they use the word tween at all? Yeah, in that this is book? A constantly. Re- <laughs> he actually uh, coined the word tween. <laughs> um, I uh, I have seen w- some of one of the film adaptations of this one. Uh, did you with walk Jeremy out? Jeremy Irons. Right. No, well, I was in my house, so if I had walked out, I would have been <laughs> outside, and I would have had to go back in. <laughs> I in order that. to turn off the to, uh, to protest of film, you walked out of your own house, stood at, stood outside for two hours, and thought mm-hmm. it should be over by now. <laughs> <laughs> Came back in. Oh, oh, there's still it's still going. Oh, sorry, and my cookies were burned. Yeah. <laughs> Why only part of the film? Oh, um, because uh, look, I, it might have been on TV or something. I look, I I honestly don't remember. All I only have the feeling that I can't have seen the whole film because uh, maybe someone else was watching it. I was walking in and out of the room. I don't know, but I, I'm pretty sure I didn't see the whole thing. Okay. Well, unfortunately for you, I've also only read half of this because it is in two parts. There's part one and part two. Part one we will cover today. And uh, Lolita starts with a Ford written by a fictional doctor, John Ray Jr. <laughs> sounds like a made-up name. <laughs> well, if you think that sounds made up, he explains in the Ford what we are about to read as a memoir sent to him by a man named Humbert Humbert. Mm. That is the main character of the mm. That sounds like a made-up name. It does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it sounds like one made-up name twice. Mm. Yes. Yeah, and and that you know, and and it's a testament to the uh, to the morality of the things that he's done that the name Humbert hasn't really caught on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. He really killed the name Humbert. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was hogging all the Humberts. Humbert. Humbert. That's true. Yeah. There were no Humberts left. Yeah. Uh, I. Um... I think this is interesting, this sort of way of writing books. It feels like what they, they did a bit with Frankenstein, where it's like, it's not just tell us, just tell the story, but it's always like, oh, no, I found this story oh, in a yes. ditch. Yeah, it's yeah, so a, a, a epistolary. Yeah, I went to visit a man in a cemetery, and he told me the story of the man who told him the story. Mm. You know, it's, 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 it's all these framing devices. Yeah, same with Heart of Darkness. There was a man telling another man's yeah. story. That's right, yeah, so sitting on a dock of a bay, I think. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Otis Redding stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and you know what's risky is it putting something in the foreword like that because, I mean, you know, me as a as an, the avid reader that I am, I am, I am very uh, likely to skip a foreword. Well, I actually did initially because mm. I thought it was a foreword like uh, – because I read that it was by uh, PhD. I thought, oh, this is someone years later telling me why sure. this is going to be a great novel. And I actually find those things – 
to be full of spoilers a lot of the time. Mm. And tedious to read. Yeah, it's like, oh, and this is why it changed the landscape or whatever. But then I, uh, yeah, researching uh, the novel, it came across, they were referencing what you were saying, epistolary, Mm. the the style. And I was like, oh, I should read that forward. And it really does uh, set up the novel. He says, uh, the memoir was sent to the Dr. John after Humbert Humbert died in jail just a few days before his trial. Oh, okay. Mm. Epstein Uh, styles. Yeah, yes. very current. <laughs> oh, this book is very relevant today. <laughs> well, uh, in many ways to Epstein too, actually, yeah. Uh, his, oh, yeah. yeah. With the uh, allegations anyway. against him. <laughs> <laughs> no. Masterfully played, David. Handled with a plum. Thank you so oh, much. Yes. Thank you. And we were worried this wasn't going to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, the short forward tells us that the alternate title the author gave the author gave the work was Lolita or Confession of a White Widowed Male. Mm. So you read that and you think on trial, but what was he on trial for? No, mm. oh, you think you think he might have killed, killed his wife or Amazon Prime trial. <laughs> oh, <laughs> his thirty true, day trial yeah. had run out. Yeah. yeah, a widowed a widowed man on trial because <laughs> I guess after so somebody you lo- close to you dies you tend to just binge watch stuff mm, so. mm. yeah but then you don't want to pay for the thing so you put a note in your calendar saying um, uh, cancel or like you know uh, end it all before <laughs> trial period something mm. something you know note in your calendar and then when that comes up you forget what it's about and you think it's a note to kill yourself but actually it was just to cancel the, yeah <laughs> Cancel the subscription, yeah. but you'd written end it all for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you're the type of person that follows through when you have plans. Oh, yeah. sure. You know, if it's in the calendar. Yeah. <laughs> well, the actual novel starts uh, with a line that's gone down in English history, and that is, Lolita, light of my life, fire of my loins, my sin and my soul. And thus begins Lolita, the uh, writer, remember, Humbert. Humbert uh, tells us that this Lolita had many names, all deriving from a real full name, Dolores, sometimes called Lo, Lola, or Dolly. But to him, she was always Lolita. I think the book should have been called Dolores. <laughs> I think it would have saved us all a lot of trouble. Maybe yeah. the century would have been a bit better. <laughs> but this couldn't have been the, the best novel. Uh, the book is broken up into many uh, chapters of varying lengths, but chapter one is only half a page. And it, But you learn a lot from that half a page. In it, we learn that Lolita had a precursor, another very young woman that the author loved when he himself was young. And perhaps this is what started his obsession with young girls. Mm-hmm. That's what he speculates upon. He also tells us that he is a murderer. And that's the first time we hear about what this crime is on trial for. Mm. It's one of those things where I've got to keep reminding myself he's writing this from jail. He's on trial for murder because I've said this many times on this podcast uh, where if something happens at the start of a movie, mm-hmm. by the end of the movie, if that, that scene start hap- you know, it's a sort of a, a full circle mm. type plot. I've always forgotten that yeah. start bit by the end. And I go, oh, oh, yeah. But other people are like, yeah, I've thought about that for the last hour and a half. Yeah. And trying, Waiting for that to trying come back around. It, yeah, but that never, I never get that. I never get that. <laughs> Um, uh, Humbert then uh, starts to tell the story of his own life. He was born in Paris in 1910, and uh, his father ran an upmarket hotel. By his own account, it was a happy childhood, except for the mention of his mother's death in a freak accident, which is only referred to in brackets as picnic, comma, lightning. That's quite funny, actually. I don't don't know. (laughs) My mother died in a tragic accident, picnic, lightning. 
He just moves on. Never mentions her again. Uh, so let's speculate what could have been going on there. Uh... Sitting there eating some lightning. <laughs> and uh, so I guess I guess something... She got hit by a falling rock. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. Heart attack. Fell in a hole. I mean, most people don't die from something. You just kind of die from your own body killing mm. you. Old age. Old age. Yeah, maybe that was it. She died of old age, but that just happened to be lightning and she was at a picnic. Died of old age, and that's why Humbert Humbert hated old age so much, you know, because it killed his mum, and that's what made him (laughs) interested in young people. Does that justify anything? Yeah. Great. Remember, yeah, because you're on his side. Let's not forget that. (laughs) You committed to that. (laughs) God. No, you can jump jump ship at any time. Uh, okay. Uh, I choose half an hour ago. Yeah. <laughs> well, in 1923, when about 12 himself, uh, Humbert uh, met another 12-year-old named Annabelle, whose parents were friends of his aunt. At first, he and Annabelle were just friends, but they soon fell madly in love, mm. he tells us. Uh, they attempted to uh, kiss and then eventually have sex, but they were always under the watchful eye of their parents. They would try and hide in the garden and they couldn't quite hide enough and then they ran to the beach one day where their attempts at intimacy were interrupted by two strangers with beards. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Is this set in America or in Russia? Uh, Paris at this time. Paris. Yeah, so I could picture Russian people with beards, but I don't think I've ever seen a French person with a beard. How about... Um... French beard? I can't think of one. Well, oh, Hemingway had a beard and he spent a lot of time in Paris. There you go. go. Close enough for me. And he was an honorary Frenchman. (laughs) Well, I mean, he didn't say there were French people with beards. You know what? It's right. Was it Hemingway? Have we cracked it? Was it Hemingway? (laughs) Yeah, nothing ruins uh, ruins an intimate moment than Hemingway walking towards you on the beach. (laughs) Going to punch you in the face. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Um, And how old were they at this point? 12 years old. 12 years old. It's it's an early start. Yeah, absolutely. But they didn't get that start because the beards. Well, you know, there was the intention there. I feel sex starts at intention. Well, four months after this, Annamel uh, died of typhus. Jesus. And the writer Humbert speculates that this is where his fascination and indeed obsession with prepubescent, pre-pubescent, with prepubescent girls started. Right. Mm. So that's his own self-diagnosis. Sort of well, yeah, there. trauma with somebody that you love, you know, when you're young, would freeze something. You know, something would get frozen there. Right, Alistair, are you justifying this? No, no, no. I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to... Analyze. Uh, what's what's the thing that a doctor does? Diagnose. Diagnose or, 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 or you know, uh, yeah, I think it's an illness. Cure. Mm. Cure. I'm You're trying, trying to, to cure, cure him. him. Yeah. With words. <laughs> From afar. <laughs> I'm trying to bulk bill him. Through the, through the realm. <laughs> You're just trying to get him in and get him out. Yeah. yeah. See as many patients as you can in an That's hour. That's right. Refer him all to specialists. <laughs> yeah. Take my money. Take my $37. 80. Plus GST. I don't know how Medicare works. <laughs> well, he used to be able to recall Annabelle's face despite the decades since seeing her, but this has since been replaced by the face of Lolita, mm-hmm. the girl who we hear was able to break the spell that Annabelle had uh, had over him for so many years. And uh, his obsession with young girls is a large theme of the book, I'm sad to say. <laughs> yeah, I had a feeling. Yeah. I am uh, sad to say. He's attracted to young women that he describes as nymphettes. Mm-hmm. Nymphets. And I have to say, the first 50 pages or so of the book are quite disturbing to read. I found it quite tough going. Because he just talks about them heaps. Yes, and how attractive they are and things like that. It's... Yeah, right. <sighs> and after those 50 pages, the sort of the, the plot does start moving forward a bit. 
and it's less about how hot young girls are. But the, those 50 pages are a bit like, oh, I feel a bit sick reading this. But yeah. anyway. T- Tolkien would often do that with trees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so maybe it's a sort of similar thing. Just goes on about the trees yeah. for half an hour just to, to wear you down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, there must be like a disorienting kind of thing to like, you go, all right. And so that, and then you're so happy because it's hard enough to get through a book. So, but if you make people feel like they've achieved something by getting through the tough bit, once you smooth sail and moving forward, people will stick with it. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, but also, like, he's probably, and that because is, is, is trying to set you up to, to, to think about this guy in a particular way, right? Like, he doesn't, you know, he's obviously not wanting you to be on his side early on. No, right? so, no. But, but again, the writing is so very good that you are able to put up with it a yeah. little bit. But also, I did... I put down, you know, read before bed, put down the book and go, oh, I think I'm going to watch, usually I'd go to sleep now, but I'm going to watch something else to stop thinking about that passage because that was a bit weird. Do you, do you, um, are you going to talk at all about the writing of this book and Nabokov himself and any other, like the, the, the stuff around it? Because I do know one factoid. No, about, please, please tell me. About him, which is that one, 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 uh, one night, his, his wife woke up in the middle of the night, Nabokov. I might have all the details wrong about this, right? But Nabokov, he was raving, raving like a, a maniac, right? And he was like, I'm going to burn this book because he hated he hated it. Like he, he hated this Humbert, Humbert character that he'd made so much. And he was like, this is, you know, it's, this is all disgusting. And he was going to burn it, right? Kafka, Kafka style. Yeah. Right? Um, but uh, then his wife convinced him not to and uh, various other people convinced him not to and... Uh, yeah, so he 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 also was really really conflicted about the character. I think I think he also had the idea for about fifteen years. It sort of he'd written a short story version of it, then right. sort of shelved it, then came back to it. But yeah, I I did also read about yeah trying to burn it and his wife saving it, which I think it is it is dedicated to his wife, right? To Vera. Or How Vera. old was she? <laughs> we, we don't know. Um, I also heard that he had synesthesia. Which is maybe one of the reasons why his descriptions are so vivid. Uh, what's synesthesia? That's when you mix up your when you like can see numbers, a taste, or something like flavors. that. Oh, you can, of course, right? Yeah, and you can smell music, mm. things like that. But I don't know exactly how it works. Right, uh, and, uh, we're all bringing one fact each. Mm-hmm. He was also an expert on butterflies. Does that Flies. come up? Not in the book, no. But that was a uh, he and his wife would go out on weekends to. I, I find it quite funny because he's an expert on butterflies. But then their thing would be they'd collect butterflies, uh, also known as uh, catching them, killing them, and then mounting them on a wall. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Find that a strange way to celebrate what you love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but sadly, we've got to talk about nymphets quickly here because it is a big part of the the first fifty pages, mm-hmm. which I'll condense very very quickly. But he just goes on. He describes nymphets as being between the ages of nine and fourteen, not necessarily beautiful, but possessing an elusive, sexually appealing quality. Okay. okay. That's what he's going for. That's appealing to him anyway. Humbert studied English literature at university in Paris and sta- uh, started what would become a lifelong task of publishing a manual of French literature for English-speaking students. So that was sort of what he was doing in the background. That was Humbert? Novel. Yeah. Uh, oh, wait, wait. What was it? A manual for English-speaking students? Yeah. On so, what? Uh, French literature. Oh, right. Great. Oh, he's mm. a man of the world. He travels a bit too. Yes, yeah. he does. No butterflies though. No. Uh, he uh, visits brothels and pays for sex with uh, adult women, but he always found himself drawn time and time again to the nymphettes. 
He watched them play in playgrounds but didn't act on his desires. He tells us that the appeal of the nymphettes can only be understood by a certain man of 30 or over. I mean, that sadly, at 29, I just maybe that's why. Is that why you got I, us in? Yeah, no, well, that's why I felt <laughs> sick when I was reading. I just didn't understand it, but yeah. got some maturity so in the room. 35-year-olds, yeah. Um, and it says you have to be an artist and a madman. But it must be before you hit, like, 35, because it must be somewhere between 30 and 35, because I think by the time you hit 35, you're like, I think I could, I'm almost ready to be entirely sexless. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and Humbert obviously doesn't have kids of his own, right? No. Yeah, okay. And he's, he's, he's not in a relationship or anything like that? Uh, there are a few relationships that will come and go. Okay. But... Um, which actually, I'll talk about them now. Uh, oh, oh, great. <laughs> sure. Why not? Uh, he describes himself as very attractive, even in older age. Okay. Arrogant. Um, but partic- Unbelievable. <laughs> I've had enough of this guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Get that, over that yourself. That was it. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, particularly when he was younger. So he never had any trouble attracting adult women, he tells us. But who would have, uh, he'd have relationships with, but he, they would often repulse him. Just <laughs> okay. difficult in a relationship. But this was years ago before sort of people had baths every day, right? Mm. Yeah. Right? Yeah, everyone smells terrible. Yeah. I mean, it might have played a part in it, you know. So as you get older, you just get stinkier and stinkier, obviously. I, I think so. Yeah. Wasn't there, it wasn't that long ago people would just have to, like, have a bath a week. Yeah, or all the family run one bath. The whole bath. family run bath. I mean, he's a single man, so you have to spend all that money on water himself. You get the bath all to yourself. Yeah, I mean, you keep it, keep the bath for a week. Um. I, I really hate to preempt anything, that, uh, David, but I'm finding it very difficult to concentrate because every time I glance at your com- computer screen, there's only one thing that I can see, which is that in the middle of this document you've written, the word farts is <laughs> is written in, I'm going to say, size 30 font and wow. underlined and in red. That, so, is, that is because I wrote this today. I flew back from Perth this morning where I was uh, doing a Do Go On podcast yesterday with uh, Matt and Jess. And I was sitting in the middle. Matt was asleep against the window. Jess was watching something on her iPad. And, and I was, they were both farting. Yeah, well, no, I was typing this up. And Jess goes, oh, hang on, hang on. And then just types the word farts. <laughs> <laughs> and then underlines it and makes it that massive font. I was really interested to see how that was inserted into the plot. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to jump ahead, but she wrote a couple other words in here. <laughs> keep, a, keep an eye out for the word tits coming up about halfway through here. <laughs> Well, uh, veering away from the farts, <laughs> just for a second. That's a shame. Uh, as he grew, I know, it really is a shame. Isn't it? <laughs> as he grew older, Humber decided that getting married to an adult woman might help him to, quote, flower certain moral values, if not purge myself of my degrading and dangerous desires. Right, okay. so he knows that he's not a good guy. Or yes, like he knows yeah, he's he, got problems. He doesn't want... Well, he called himself mad. He talked about madness earlier, so like yeah. he's sort of aware... Mm, and he's try- and at this stage in his life, he's trying to sort of stop acting on his desires. Yeah, right. So he married Valeria, the daughter of a Polish doctor, who he chose because she had. Well, he's trying to get over, but he did choose her because she had childlike qualities. Okay, even though she was in her late twenties, mm-hmm. he never knew her exact age because, quote, even her passport lied. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Wow. Apparently, you can do that. At first, this sham marriage started off well, but would you believe it? For once, a sham marriage didn't work out. Mm. And uh, Humbert started to find Valeria grating. Farts! That's, <laughs> where, <laughs> that's where the word was written in. Well, look, I think it's, it was for the best for Valeria. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, Valeria does sound like a venereal disease. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so sorry, Valeria. <laughs> oh, you got to take tablets to stop developing yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, Hamid received a sizable inheritance from his uncle, but to get the money, the will stipulated he had to move to America and help run the uncle's business. And when Humbert proposed the plan to his wife, she seemed, seemed unhappy by the news and eventually admitted to Humbert that she was having an affair. Oh. She told him as they were, they were in a taxi, and, mm. and Humbert repeatedly demanded, who's the guy, who's the guy? And she goes, him, and points to the taxi driver, oh. who basically turns around and goes... Hello! It's me! <laughs> such a weird scene. <laughs> hey! I mean, when something like, if you're in a relationship with somebody and you don't really want to be in there and they tell you they're cheating on you, you must be like, fuck yes. Yeah. All right. Oh, thank God. Quick, tell me who it is so I can be very upset. <laughs> and he goes, hello! And he goes, ah, you're yeah. a nice guy. Yeah. Suppose we're not t- paying for this taxi. How good would that be? Find out you don't have to pay for the taxi. Also, if she was in a relationship and didn't want to be in it and tried to get out by just saying she was in a, having an affair and he's like putting her on the spot and she's just not very creative <laughs> and not good at coming up with people like, uh, I'm having a relationship with the... Well, who who's in the car who isn't you? Uh, that guy. Seatbelt. I mean, uh, driver man. And then he's, he's also so desperate. Hello! Yeah. Well... You'd think that you'd be you'd be stoked, as you said, to get to have the marriage over mm. and done with. But despite not actually loving his wife, Humbert still felt betrayed by her and thought about killing her. Okay. Um. But the taxi driver came with him to the house and took her away her belongings before he could do so. So he was just like, "Oh, oh, okay." Mm. So Man, that was really well planned. Yeah, yeah like, in the and the other part about it, it's, it's quite a bizarre scene because she tells him they're walking along the street. She says, "I'm I'm having an affair. I'm seeing someone else," and she starts crying. And then he says, "Oh, okay, we should get into this car." And it's the taxi, and it turns out to be the man she's having an affair with. That's really weird. I wonder whether the Something, guy in the taxi not telling the truth. was just following them. Like following their date? It actually does say, yeah, a, a, a taxi which had been uh, approaching them for a long time. Mm. So they are, were essentially being followed by mm. this taxi driver. But I mean, like, this is often the scenario. Like when when a, when a guy finds out that, or when a woman finds out, or when a guy finds out the woman wants to leave him, that's often where bad stuff happens. Like when in sort of like domestic violence scenarios, she planned that so well. She, she'd got a, an exit strategy mm-hmm. with this other guy, probably might be stronger than him, the other guy. Maybe. And then had him... Yeah, he drive he's... them there while she told the message. So he's there for the thing. It's just anyway. This this lady textbook, best, absolute textbook, best book of the 1900s. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Humbert does finish this chapter by telling us, uh, "quote I had my little revenge in due time. Later, learning that Valeria died whilst giving birth to the taxi driver's child. So there oh. you go. <laughs> oh, it's like the beginning of up. All these people dying." The women, all the women in his life are dying. Yeah, and they're going to continue to do so. Oh, no. Okay. Uh, well, free from the shackles of his loveless marriage, Humbert does move to America, where, again, he started to watch nymphets in the central in Central Park. He worked translating French and had his first psychotic breakdown, resulting in him being institutionalized. Oh. Yeah, eventually, he was well enough to be discharged, where he took up a job on an Arctic expedition. To me, this this is probably the most random part of the book, more random than the mm. taxi scene. His jo- job on the trip was to psychologically analyse the people on the expedition, something he failed to do due to boredom and he just made up the results. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's oh, all fine. i got to say, I, I relate to that part. Yeah, that's the most relatable <laughs> yeah. part. Oh. I'll, just, I'll just do it on the last day. Arctic expedition would be a great time to just like... Do some reading, get some writing done. Mm. You know, do you stay, think you would stay inside? Yeah, 
a lot of indoor activities. Uh, but I mean, he doesn't have a family or anything like that. He could be doing that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Again, he was uh, institutionalized on his return after another breakdown where he passed the time by making up symptoms to confuse the doctors, making sure to never give away his secret desire f- for children. So he would just enjoy making up stuff and seeing them be confused. But like, what is it? Did, do they describe the breakdown in any way? Like, do we get the sense of like, what does it involve? It's it, it, he sort of blames it on uh, being overworked. Yeah, right. And that 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 caused the breakdown. Well, that but... didn't happen on that Arctic trip. <laughs> <laughs> he went there. It was only when he came back and stopped working on the oh. Arctic trip that he had a breakdown. Or it was that little period that he had to do some work where he had to make up the symptoms the and results. that very yeah. That was probably a lot of work because it was about you know a few months worth. Of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How how so, hard is it to write uh, you know three hundred times? Everybody seems to be very cold. Mm. <laughs> More complaints are being cold. Colder than I'd thought, even in the Arctic. Today was merely chilly. <laughs> There's one entry. He's like, yeah. if I change one of them, they'll believe exactly. this is real. <laughs> Uh, somehow, despite the made-up symptoms and uh, symptoms and uh, teasing of doctors, Humbert Humbert was released and, looking for a quieter life, he moved to a small country town to stay with his uncle's friend, Mr. McCoo. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> see, you can come into the English language and seemingly learn all of the words and like know how to string a sentence together, but you know how foreign names always just sound a bit funny yeah. to you? Yeah. Well, he's clearly like, well, this is just what English names sound. Sound like Mr. McCoo. <laughs> anyway, his uncle is a character in a children's book. <laughs> it's like, yeah, the the prose is so good, and then you just get to a name, and you just it just undoes it all. Quibbly boop dum. Wop 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 wop. off. What do you think about this fake name, Cameron Member? Cameron Member. Cameron Member. Cameron Member. It rolls off the tongue. Are you thinking of changing your name? No, but I mean, because it sounds like you're saying can't remember. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't get I that. I didn't even get no, that, but I still liked it. Cameron Member. <laughs> What's your name? Cameron Member. <laughs> what, about, what about Kent Remember? <laughs> Kent Remember? Uh, yeah. yeah, that's good too. <laughs> I mean, but then people will get what it. About, what about <laughs> this? What about this? Can't Remember. <laughs> Oh my God! He's done it again. <laughs> Vladimir Nabokov. Yeah. Oh, still I can't alive and well. Remember my name. <laughs> where's Where's that name from? My name. <laughs> what country is that from? It's English, but it was originally it was Russian. Yeah, and then I made it up. <laughs> so he's going to move in uh, with Uncle's friend, Mister McCoo, who also conveniently has a twelve-year-old daughter that Humbert's fantasizing about. Oh, no. But when he got there. He discovered that Mr. McCoo's house had burnt down. <laughs> Mr. McCoo oh. rocks up in a borrowed car to the train station and says, I'm sorry, my house has burnt down. Unsure what to do, Mr. McCoo suggested that Humbert uh, try boarding with a certain Mrs. Hayes, a widowed woman who had a spare room he could stay in. Humbert met Mrs. Hayes, whose appearance did not impress him, and he described her as having, quote, quite simple but not unattractive features of a type that may be defined as a weak solution of Marlena Dietrich. Oh, okay. reference okay. I don't get. <laughs> but um, but do you think that his uncle, Mr. McCoo, yeah. um, by the way, this guy, Bert, what's his name? Bert, Bert, Bertrand? Humbert, Humbert. Humbert, Humbert. Do you think it's it's really Humbert Magoo or McCoo? <laughs> and he's just changed it to Humbert, Humbert because of McCoo. Anyway, do you think McCoo has, um, has pretended that his house burnt down so that he didn't have this weirdo hanging out with his yeah, 12-year-old yeah, daughter? Yeah, I reckon. Because there was yeah, no house burnt down. Yes, yeah, sorry. And I'm having an affair with um, 
<laughs> that bush. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Um, he thought to himself that if he stayed the widower, this is Mrs. Hayes, would surely try and seduce him. So he really rates himself mm. as a good-looking guy. Uh, hum, humbert. Mm. Certainly not humble it. Humble it, humble it. Yeah. Uh, humbert checked out the house, basically out of politeness, and walking through, he was not, not liking what he saw. He decided to leave, find a hotel, and then fly to Bermuda or the Bahamas. Uh-oh. And I tell you, I wish that he'd done that. Really? But instead, as he made up his mind, he spies Miss, Mrs. Hayes' 12-year-old daughter sitting outside on the lawn. Jesus. This girl, Dolores, a.k.a. Lolita. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. From the title of Lolita. Oh. <laughs> inspired something. That's a weird coincidence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so a bit hacked, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> inspired something deep inside of Humbert that he hadn't felt since his first love, Annabelle. Quote, the 25 years I have lived since then tapered to a palpating point, to a palpitating point, and vanished. Unquote. Okay. A little while later, of course, she, this is Lolita, my Lolita, was to eclipse completely her prototype. So would you believe it? He decides to stay in the Hayes household after all. Well, those tickets to Bermuda are going to go to waste. <laughs> <laughs> is, he, is he using those? Yeah. <gasps> it's got an exit strategy. <laughs> Hey, book cheaters, Dave here to tell you that this week's episode of Book Cheat is brought to you by Audible. Audible members now get more than ever before. If you are an Audible member like me, you now get three titles every month, which means you will be able to get one audiobook plus two Audible originals that you can't hear anywhere else. Members also have unlimited access to more than 100 audio-guided fitness and meditation programs. And Audible delivers bestsellers, business, self-improvement, memoirs and more, all professionally narrated by actors, authors and motivational superstars. So there is literally something for everyone on Audible. With a convenient app, you can access Audible anywhere, anytime, listen anywhere, on the go, which is what I like to do. Now, this week, I would like to suggest an Audible title, and that is Lolita. The subject of today's podcast, of course, and on Audible, if you want to listen to Lolita, you can download the 11 and a half hour version read by Jeremy Irons, acclaimed actor and, of course, star of the 1997 adaptation of Lolita. If what I've spoken about here today ignites the fire in your loins and you want to listen to Lolita yourself, that would be my recommendation. And you can actually download that for free because if you start listening with a 30-day Audible trial, your first audiobook plus two Audible originals are free. So you can listen to that nearly 12-hour version of Lolita narrated by the great Jeremy Irons. All you have to do is visit audible.com slash bookcheat or text bookcheat to 500 500 one more time for your 30-day audible trial go to audible.com slash bookcheat or text bookcheat to 500 500 now back to the show this is Paige, the co-host of giggly squad and i want to tell you about a company that i've been loving olive and june olive and june gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box and if you break it down it really comes out to two dollars a manicure which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Uh, then Humbert recalls using his photographic memory, a diary he kept of his tits. <laughs> uh, that's Jess Perkins' work again there. Um, initial, uh, his initial time at the Hayes household, where he recalls the first 20 days or so he spent there, most of which is uh, pining over Lolita and trying, up, trying to come up with excuses to talk to the young girl. And uh, she really warms to him because he looks like an actor that she has a crush on. Okay. Convenient for him. And her mother, Mrs. Hayes, even openly teases the leader for having a crush on their house guest. Mm. Which oh, is no. rather unfortunate. Yeah. Um, it's amazing that he was able to remember all, that he had a photographic memory. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's that word again? Um, what is that? Photographic? Uh, Mrs. Hayes clashes a lot with the daughter, Lolita, and she complains a lot about her. Which uh, internally pisses off Humbert, uh, who daydreams about murdering the mother so he can be close with Lolita. So he is a really bad guy. Mm. Is that okay. coming across? I mean, I don't want to influence Andy, the number one Humbert Humbert <laughs> fan. Can I just um, put it on the record that uh, I, I, I think he's uh, probably on the wrong side of history? <laughs> <laughs> probably. This, Andy's got some wiggle room in there. <laughs> oh, God. Um, it's okay, Andy. You're not going into politics. Not anymore. No. no. This has not ruined your reputation, don't worry. Yeah. I mean, this book has the reputation as being the best novel of the 20th That's century. Right. And Didn't this ruin the, his life. This is the best report of the 21st century, Dave. I More think yet. your prose is doing justice to that prose. I agree. Got it. Thank you. I hope so. And I agree that Humbert Humbert is also a bad person. He is a bad guy. Um, he, you shouldn't kill the people whose houses you're staying in. <laughs> yes. Mm. Put that on the record. Mm. Uh, Humbert, <laughs> so he's getting closer and closer to the girl. He's he, uh, he hugs her a few times and rubs himself on her. It's a bit gross, but okay. um, moving through that bit quickly. Uh, why? Like, as in, like, just in a, in a hug scenario? Just like in a like a, a dog humping a leg type thing. Jesus. Mm. All right. A little bit. I'm going to put put it out there on the record. Inappropriate. <laughs> do, do you think maybe you could point out every time it's inappropriate? That would be really I'm good. I'm going to try. <laughs> You know, I want to know where, like, what he's doing with the name Humbert Humbert. Like, why? <laughs> what was Nabokov like? It's a weird name. It mm, is right? a, a strange a really name. Weird name, and he's chosen that name for this lead character in this quite disturbing tale. Like, why have you given him such a weird name twice? Well, think about this: you're writing a book that you don't like, mm. right? You've woken up, you're upset. You told your wife, "I'm going to burn it," right? Yep. Um, do you know that story about like that's you know in the song Creep by Radiohead? That part, you know the part that everybody loves that Apparently the guitarist was like was like I'm going to try and fuck up this song. It mm. felt like it was too I don't know. Clean it, it or felt like it was too clean. It was going to be it was right. It's like he had an, he, he knew it was going to be the thing that made them super popular and that's not the kind of band they wanted mm. to be. Right? And he's like I'm going to fuck up this song and he goes and we, you're right. We love that bit. We love that bit. It's the best. And that's bit. the same thing with this book. 
He's like this. He's like, look, I don't like this book, right? And it's going to be dry and it's full of awful things. And Humbert Humbert is a creep. He is a he weirdo. Is a, yeah. What the hell, what the hell is, is he doing here? here? Gross. This is Nabokov's creep. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. That's right. He fucked it up with the Humbert and he tried Humbert. To, and well, he was trying to fuck it up with mm. Humbert Humbert. He goes, that'll be too silly. People will stop reading and then nobody will have to listen to this dumb book and it won't become popular. Oh, I like that, it. That really backfired on him and made him very wealthy and very famous. Same thing with uh, Radiohead. True. Mm-hmm. And they refused to play that song for a lot of years. I wonder if he refused to play this at his con- <laughs> at his concert. <laughs> at his concert. Read Lolita. <laughs> no, no I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I read my new books. <laughs> oh, on court. On oh, the, I'll come out and he comes out with Lolita. <laughs> yes. Yay. <laughs> Uh, it was Lolita was the fire on my loins. <laughs> <and> <laughs> Do the picnic and... lightning part. I like people who go to go to bad songs and just yell out for them to do particular parts of a song. (laughs) Do the chicka bit. Do the chicka. So if you wait thirty seconds, mate, I was gonna chicka. I was gonna chicka. Do it again. We're not playing creep. Can you at least chicka? (laughs) Chicka. He would have started cheering. (laughs) Chicka. 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 Oh, that's that's a legacy. Yeah. Mm. Uh, okay, so back to the book here. Humbert was uh, horrified to find out that Lita was going away to summer camp for two months. <laughs> and then he panicked that she might mature while she was away oh, no. and not be a nymphette when she came back. Mm, she was sure. worried. And get all bitten by mosquitoes. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she returned and her mosquito bit legs <laughs> repulsed me. Yuck. <laughs> Uh, the day she went to summer camp, Lolita ran back inside from the car to embrace Humbert before she left for two months. And he was like, oh, maybe she does like me as well. Yeah, right. Oh, no. And whilst Lolita was away, uh, Humbert planned to leave the lodging for fear of going insane in the house without his love being there. Mm. But before he could make tracks, he discovered a letter written to him by Mrs. Hayes, his landlord, before she left to go to drop Lolita off at summer camp. She'd left this letter. And uh, in the letter, he she confessed her love for Humbert and asked him mm. to leave unless he too felt the same way. What, so this is Mrs. Look, Hayes? Yeah, Mrs. Hayes. Mrs. Charlotte Hayes, Lolita's mother, yeah, right. said, if you don't love me back, that's fine. Just don't be here when I get back. Right. Yeah, and right. After thinking it over, Humbert decided that he could marry Lolita's mother, okay, uh, Charlotte Hayes, and this would allow him to stay in Lolita's life in some way, basically yeah. become a stepfather type thing. He decided to uh, call the summer camp, hoping to catch Charlotte before she, she left, but he just missed her and uh, instead is put on the phone to Lolita herself. Uh, and he tells her, I'm going to marry your mother. And her response is, gee, that's swell. Mm-hmm. And then she gets distracted by someone holding a puppy and then says, I have to go. <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, with that, he realized that after two hours, she'd already forgotten about uh, about the house's handsome lodger. Yeah. So he was like, sure. oh, she's already moved on. Okay, well, maybe I can uh, start a relationship with the mother here. That was his, mm. his thoughts. And upon Charlotte's return, they began a relationship and they started to plan a wedding together. But she was uh, a bit intense, saying things like, uh, if she finds out he's not a good Christian, she'll kill herself. <laughs> and um, being extremely jealous, she demanded a list of all his previous lovers. Do we know who, um, how her, hus- her former husband died? No, not mentioned. We don't know. Don't I, know. i got to say that bit 
that bit in the car when Lolita gives him a kiss on the cheek or whatever, and and he's like, oh, maybe I'm in. That's classic guy thing. Like you know, it's like the the bar, the lady at the bar smiles at you when she's when she's serving you, and you're like. I think this woman is in love with me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm going to have to change my whole life around for this woman. Well, okay. (laughs) Call up your wife. I'm leaving you for the bar lady. (laughs) Sorry. The the signs are 100% clear. (laughs) The, 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 The dentist, she, she, she says, actually, uh, uh, it, it turns out it's just a crack. We don't need to do a full root canal. You're like, I think she loves me. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, your teeth are in better condition than we thought. Hello, gorgeous. She's using neuro-linguistic programming on me. Root, eh? I know where you're heading, lady. So she asks for a full list of his previous lovers. He, of course, does not tell her he's obsessed with underage girls and instead just makes up uh, a list of random women to pl- placate his can new I, can partner. I throw in an inappropriate there because I think that relationships need to be about honesty. Mm. Thank you for pointing it out. Yeah. Um, I would like to know what the names are that this made-up character with his, <laughs> himself a silly made-up name yeah. makes up when he has to make up names. Charlene, Charlene. <laughs> um. Gravel Gravy. <laughs> Cameron Member. <laughs> Lolita. Oh, dear. Dolores Hayes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean. I mean, I mean oh, God. Oh, God. Well, Hamid. Seatbelt. Ke- <laughs> uh, Hamid kept his diary of attraction uh, locked in his desk, and Charlotte's jealousy nearly brings him undone. She- so, so he is writing a diary of being into. Lolita. Yes, the which is the one the Can one that he said that I remembered from photographic memory. I later, I later destroyed the diary, but at the time I was writing down everything about wow, her. okay, yeah, right. And he kept it locked away, and uh, Charlotte wanted to know what he was writing. And his reasoning was that he was writing secret love letters for her, and he didn't want her to look at them. And he thought that that had satisfied her curiosity. Oh, definitely she is going to try and read those love letters. Well, one day he came home to find that the desk had been broken into. Oh, man. Uh, reading his descriptions of his love for her 12-year-old daughter, Charlotte was, of course, freaked out and threatened to leave with Lolita forever, saying she's already written some letters about Humbert and his behaviour to her friends to explain that this guy is a bit of a, a psycho. He explained to her that it was all part of a novel and yeah. that Charlotte was freaking out over nothing. And he went to the kitchen to make them both a drink, but on his return he found that the living room was empty. Mm. Then the phone started to ring. He answered it. It was their friend Leslie Thompson on the other end who explained that Charlotte had just been hit by a car. Hit by a car and killed just down the street. So he'd gone to make a drink while she, she ran out of the house to get away from him and then was hit by a car. Okay, but this is him telling the story, right? Mm. So do we believe what he's saying? Uh... Or is it did he actually hit her with a car? Well, and... it's difficult to say because he is open about wanting to kill people. So I don't know. It doesn't feel like that he is sort of... He's not an unreliable narrator. Well, he, well, he definitely could be. Yeah, definitely right, could be. But he's very happy to admit all these other things that we're mm. obviously judging him for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. When did he write it? While he was in prison? Yeah. So he's written this while he's in prison. Well, awaiting that... a murder charge. Let's not forget. Yeah. So hang on. But in the time that he's left the room to go get a drink, his 
wife, are they married now? No, they're his engaged to be, yes. Has gone out into the street, been hit by a car, and his neighbour uh, and her friend has seen that and called him. How long was he making this drink? I, I mean, mean, that's a sequence of events. <laughs> that's a, What's he putting together out there? Some drinks have a lot of elements. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's like shaking a cocktail shaker, doing tricks, yeah, you know, li- lighting stuff on fire with a blowtorch. <laughs> you know when a bartender's making you a drink and you're pretty sure they're in love with you? <laughs> and you're like, this is taking forever, yeah. Yeah, and then you go out and get hit by a car. Yeah. Well, he's actually snuck out the back door because he noticed they didn't have any of those little cocktail umbrellas. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm not going to give her one with that one. So he snuck out the back for half an hour, sure. went to the supermarket, came back and in that time what had happened was she'd run outside uh, she tripped over on wet cement and fallen in front of a car that was swerving to avoid hitting a dog oh it was that's a serious that, that's, again it sounds like a made up scenario <laughs> yeah maybe Nabokov is, is, is a, a good f- writer maybe he's writer. not a non-fiction writer after all mm. um sorry <laughs> um can I say I, I sort of there was an inappropriate before that I didn't catch on oh um, before when uh, soon to be wife's name who just got Charlotte Charlotte, Charlotte. Char- when Charlotte broke into his Charlene Charlotte. Oh, no that was Charlene Charlene oh Charlotte. Charlotte. That, was, that was the made up former lover yeah, when Charlotte broke into his desk that was a real breach of trust oh, right. so that's inappropriate <laughs> yeah yeah I agree true you got to call be prepared to call it out on both sides yeah yeah I can't be seen to be biased here yeah yeah, yeah. I absolutely agree. Well, Hamid asked uh, Charlotte's close friends, Jean and John Farlow, to not tell Lolita the news of her mother's death while she's away at camp, fearing that it could up- upset her. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's like, don't tell him. Don't I'll tell ruin him. ruin camp. Yeah. <laughs> let, at least let her have a good camp. One final camp. One mm. last fun camp. He also tells them that he and Charlotte had an affair many years earlier, which is absolutely untrue. He didn't know her years earlier. And he implies to them that he is, in fact, Lolita's real father. Yeah, right. And that they, and then they accept that he's going to go pick her up from camp and then take her away on a holiday for a while. And they go, oh, you've, yeah, of course, you're a stepdad and now probably a real dad as well. Yeah, mm. okay, that, that's not weird. Sure, sure. That's sort of his lie to be able to get permission to uh, take this girl away. Before picking up Lolita, Humbert does admit he feels guilty about Charlotte's death and cries. So He cries. He cries. So yeah. finally showing a bit of humanity for, mm. for another character, yeah. But that doesn't stop him picking up her 12-year-old daughter and not telling her that her mother is now dead. He instead tells her that the reason he's picking up is that her mother's in hospital and... Uh, She's too sick to go and visit. So he's like, oh, your mum wants me to take you away for a while. It's really weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's all really weird. I mean, it's pretty inappropriate if you ask me. Yeah, you think that's bad? <laughs> yeah. Uh, after picking her up, Lolita asked about her mother and then semi-jokingly asked if she's now to call him dad. Because remember how they're... Mm, they were she, to yeah. be wed. They're to be wed. Uh, she tells Humbert, she jokes that she's been unfaithful to him, but also says that now he's to marry her mother, he's probably not interested in her anymore, sort of joking around. Yeah, right. Uh, she told him that she hasn't even, he, he hasn't even kissed her hello yet, and uh, he tried to remind himself that she's just a child. In the book, he says, she's just a child. She's just a child. And then uh, she does kiss him, and he uh, kisses her back, and that's the first uh, interaction between the two of them. Like but that like on the cheek or like on the mouth? On the mouth. Oh jeez, yeah. is that an inappropriate? Well, you... <laughs> sorry, I apologize. Thank you. Inappropriate. I got to be consistent with this, or else. Um, yeah, I think also when he told her that her mom was still alive, I thought that was inappropriate as well. Yeah, <laughs> lying to it to um, a child. They need to know the truth. Yeah. 
even if the truth is so unbelievable that you were making a drink and that she was run over. <laughs> she slipped on some concrete in the car that was trying to avoid so a dog. Wet concrete. Wet concrete. Well, you're not going to yeah, slip on dry yeah, concrete. But oh, uh, but like wet, wet oh, like damp. No, or yeah. Sorry, like, I imagine wet cement. I was thinking wet but cement. That, as but well. you're right. If you stepped into that, you'd be stuck. Yeah. You don't slip on that. Right, exactly. So maybe it's concrete with water on top. Yeah. Is that what you were thinking, Al? Yeah. She was aquaplaning. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now you get that. Now you get that. That's how fast she was running <laughs> that she wasn't breaking the surface tension of the water. <laughs> we don't like, I mean, I pictured her as like a sort of 50-year-old kind of like <laughs> oh, portly, no. portly woman. She's super fast. She could have, like, she might have been an athlete. She might have been a, a, tri- a triathlon runner. Mm. A sprinting triathlon yes. runner. They call her <laughs> the Scarlet Haze. Charlotte yes. Haze. The Scarlet Haze because yeah. she dresses all in this red bodysuit. <laughs> yeah. And when she runs, it's a blur. Yes. H-A-Z-E. Yeah. Rather than what? H-A-Y-S. Is that how E-S? it is? It is Z-E. It is I Z-E. I had an instinct. Uh. Charlotte Haze, the Scarlet Haze. Come oh, on, everybody. Yeah. Let's get behind that. <laughs> if there's one thing to take away uh, from this podcast, if you're going to pretend you've read it at a dinner party, yeah, mm-hmm. oh, I liked that Scarlet Haze character. Yes. <laughs> she ran, didn't she? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I liked that they gave her a good backstory. You know, because I mean, is Nabokov treating his female characters well? Is he giving them uh, sort of, you know, like a bit of uh, Does that, Lolita pass the Bechdel test? You know, That's but you know what I mean. Like, like are are they are they getting a, a bit of depth to them and things like that, or is it just Humbert? Oh, no, they're getting a bit of depth, but it is through, the, through, through the eyes of of Humbert Humbert, oh, yeah. and his eyes are pretty grub, <laughs> pretty gross. Mm. You know how he's been kind of a bit, you know, um, psychopathic, but then he has had this one. Emotion, kind of thing, mm. show, show towards Charlotte. I think maybe w- these days you would diagnose somebody like that as being a scumbag. Oh, yeah. right. Mm. Well, they did... back, back in the 80s, whenever this was written, they didn't do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they didn't have that word. Yeah. That's a modern diagnosis. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he booked them a hotel room at the Enchanted Hunters, which is a hotel that Mrs. Hayes had mentioned that she likes. And when they oh, got. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> For her memory, you know, that yeah. she would have liked that. Well, she, well, it's not in her memory because at the moment her memory is very still alive oh, yeah. in uh, Dolores' mind, who mm. still thinks she's alive. Correct. But sick, but too sick to go see. Yeah, that's right. We can't say it. We can't say it. Um, where they discover that um, when they get there, again, this is possibly an unreliable narrator, but they're told that they don't have any wheel-in beds for Lolita, so they'll have to share one bed. Mm, okay. There's a few coincidences in this book, aren't there? Mm. Mm. The wet cement. Wet cement. Uh, the taxi driver. Taxi driver, yeah. Uh, being it's released from a situation. psychiatric hospital, being allowed to go to the Arctic to analyse other people psychiatrically. <laughs> this man released from a, a psychiatric hospital. Let's confine him on a ship <laughs> yeah. to the most isolated point in the world. Oh, I mean, the snow, you know, like the Arctic isn't that different from a padded cell. You know, it's, it's just kind of soft surface. It's a padded white, white yeah, cold cell. Yes. Free range cell. Yeah. Even even all the animals there, you know, they're covered in blubber. They're quite padded. They're quite they? padded as well. It's a good place to go to not hurt yourself. Yeah, if he throws himself against one of these penguins, <laughs> these leopard seals, at least he won't be injured. 
Well, Lolita tells uh, Humber that she thinks he's crazy because, quote, when Darling Mother finds out, she'll divorce you and strangle me, implying that she knows what what Humber is uh, trying here. Uh, They went out for dinner after this, and whilst in the dining room, Lolita noticed a man sitting alone and pointed out that he looked a lot like an actor she likes called Quilty. The, the, uh, the book moves on quickly from this, but let's just keep that in the back of our minds for later. Quilty. Quilty. Just a man. Rhymes with guilty. Yes. Mm. Looks like Quilty, but is not Quilty. Not guilty. I don't know what that about it. No, but I like that. I'm going to keep it in the back of my mind. Keep it. I'm going to keep it right in the front. Uh, they go back to the room where our resident pedophile Humbert gave her a sleeping pill, uh, assuring the reader that he didn't plan on taking her innocence, but rather just wanted to touch her sleeping body without her knowledge. Extremely gross. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, waiting yep. for the pill to take effect, Humbert went for Inappropriate. A... Sorry. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> sorry. Thank you. Sorry. I just don't know without you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, waiting for the pill to take effect, Humbert went for a walk around the hotel where out on the terrace, another mysterious man sitting in a chair spoke to him. He was in the dark and Humbert couldn't quite make out his face. But the man asked about Lolita and insinuated that Humbert was being inappropriate with her. And uh, every time Humbert challenged him, he would change the topic of conversation with quite an ingenious method. See if you can pick up what he's done here. So Humbert says, uh, the man in the chair says, where the devil did you get her? And Humbert says, I beg your pardon. The guy says, I said, the weather is getting better. (laughs) Humbert says, oh, seems so. The guy, who's the lassie? Humbert says, my daughter. You lie, she's not. I beg your pardon? The guy says, July was hot. <laughs> it does It does sound like um, he's gone insane, right? Like like that he is, it's very possible that he's just out there talking to somebody and he thinks he's hearing these accusations. Absolutely, he has of, had these two breakdowns in the past yeah. and now he is uh Awaiting the, the the trial, so yeah, he absolutely could be. And then he says, "July was hot." Anyway, where's her mother? And then Humbert says, "Oh, she's dead." He says, "I see. Sorry. By the way, don't you two? Uh, why don't you lunch with me tomorrow? This dreadful crowd will be done by then." And Humbert politely declines, and that is the end of this very mysterious conversation. Right at the end of part Does one. Does that one come back as well? Yeah. 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 Right. Oh, so you've read some of part two. Yes, I have. Oh, so is that the end of part one? No, so there's one final one final part. Sadly, it's uh, quite disturbing. But So I just wanted you to remember Quilty and that. Uh, he returns to find Lolita awake. The sleeping pill hadn't worked. And he got into bed with her and uh, just lay awake all night, sort of staring at the ceiling. Then in the morning, she asked him if he'd ever had sex when he was young. And he replied, no. And then he tells us, the reader, that she's the one that actually seduced him. Okay. Again, possibly unreliable. We don't know. Uh, thankfully, he doesn't go into detail. Everything's very detailed throughout the book. But that one scene, he just says that she seduced him and uh, moves on quickly. So we're led to believe that they have. Yes, they have had sex. Yes. Right. Uh, he continues uh, addressing Alistair. us. Oh, inappropriate. Oh, thank you. Sorry. <laughs> it's very inappropriate. Oh. Um, he defends his actions to us, the reader, by saying that he found an article in a magazine in the prison where he's writing from, stating that in America, in warmer climates, American girls mature by the age of 12. So he's constantly sort of... In warmer climates? Yeah. Sort of like a ripening avocado <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> Just put him no, in a bag what? with a banana. <laughs> yeah, the banana. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so he's constantly justifying to us, don't judge me, don't judge me. He also states that uh, she told him that she'd had sex with a boy at the summer camp while she was away. So he's like, I wasn't even her first lover, so don't judge judge mm. me harshly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Even though, obviously, the lover at the summer camp was a very similar age to her. 
So is a lot mm. less yeah, inappropriate. And yeah. And illegal. A lot less illegal. illegal. Yes. Yeah. And inappropriate. <laughs> uh they but drive- you know what that kid that kid at summer camp? A bit inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you're 12. You know, mate, just wait. Yeah, just kid. Come on, mate. Come on, you got to wait. Just wait. You don't know what you're doing. You don't want to get pregnant. Yeah, no. I don't want to be a dad at 13. In the 50s? No. Not in the 50s. Uh, you're going to... Mm. I mean, I guess you've probably already got a job in a factory or something, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You could have you could have financial stability by that point. Yeah, well, it's the perfect well, time. Get in it out the of the way. Climates, a yeah. lot of young, a lot of boys have financial stability by the age of thirteen. Especially uh, if you chuck them in a bag with a banana. Yeah, it's, and and houses were probably six bucks or something. Yes, the boomers had it easy. <laughs> Damn boomers. no, no they... this is boomers. This is about boomers. Would he? Would 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 Lolita today, if she were still alive, would she be a boomer by now? Yeah, I'm guessing so because it's. Oh, she would have been born in the early 1940s. Right, oh, so not she's quite. a silent generation. She's, yeah. Ah, oh, silent generation. Yeah. Sure. Damn. Well, there's one final scene in this okay, great. first half. They drove onto another town, and in the car there was tension between the two of them. This is the day after they've had relations. Uh, Lolita finally broke the silence and said to Humbert, You chump. You revolting creature. I was a daisy fresh girl and look what you've done to me. I ought to call the police and tell them you raped me, you dirty old man. And Humbert says, I couldn't tell if she was joking or not. And I was like, what? Because mm. she did say it with a bit of a wry smile. Uh, then she then asks for some coins to call her mother in hospital. And it's at this point that Humbert tells her, you can't call your mother in hospital. She is dead. They had separate hotel rooms that night. But this is the final line of part one. At the hotel, we had separate rooms, but in the, mid- in the middle of the night, she came sobbing into mine, and we made up very gently. You see, she had absolutely nowhere else to go. Jesus. Inappropriate. <laughs> Thank you. And the curtain falls on inappropriate yeah. part one. Yeah. So it leaves a few questions Yeah. for part two. Mainly, he's on trial for murder. Who mm. does he kill? Mm. Also, who is this mysterious man with a cigarette? I think I know who he kills. I think I have a memory now uh, of uh, that scene in the Jeremy Irons Lolita film that I saw. I think I saw him kill somebody. Are you going to ruin it for me? Yeah, of course. Nah, I won't tell you. We've got to say for part two. For part two. But do you have any, if Andy knows Al, do you have any speculation on what will happen in part two? Oh, I guess he's not going to kill himself. Maybe he's on trial for killing himself. Humbert, Humbert, maybe he's actually two people. Mm. Ah, called Humbert. Yes. They're identical name twins, so people get them confused. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I'm not Humbert. I'm Humbert. And um, oh yeah, anyway, something to think about. <gasps> they're like, they're like the bananas in pajamas. Humbert one and Humbert two, <laughs> and uh, that's that's why the whole thing is an analogy for an avocado, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> the in the of the banana. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's inappropriate. A, so this book is. A, <laughs> An analogy for an avocado. Yes, mm. it's an analogy for making guacamole. <laughs> oh, which we all enjoy. Yes. Correct. Unfortunately, you have to do horrible things to make guacamole. <laughs> Spend a lot of money on avocados. Yes. It's really not okay. Yeah. That's a horrible thing to do. Um, how do you think we did in this episode? Can you give us a review out of five stars? Oh, God, I was about to give you the book. Uh, ask you to give the book a review, no, but can no, I no. give it to you? Yeah, I would I'll... like to say thank you very much. 
I but, thought that that was a lot more fun than I expected walking in here. But I'm worried it was too much fun. And no, we're... Con- confession to the listener, I'm a bit hungover from the podcast I did yesterday in Perth with Do Go On. You get drunk from podcasts. Oh, my goodness, yes. I'm so drunk right now. <laughs> um, and I was feeling a bit under the weather and I was like, oh, how will we make this book full of inappropriate uh, stuff? How will we make this fun? And thank you, gentlemen, for doing that. All right. Yeah, I think oh, well. you did well I'm without sorry. being aff- without we, being offensive. I'm sorry if we were, but we could still have been. You we're, know, we we we're, we're not necessarily in the position to be the best people to know whether or not we're being inappropriate. But yeah. I'm sure people will let us know. I think I think having a good time in the pr- in the presence of inappropriateness <laughs> is you know, well at least maybe inappropriate. At least it's fictional inappropriateness. That's true. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And. If you can separate the artist from the art, and I'm not saying you can, surely you can separate the people listening to somebody telling you about the art. This is from like the, the art. This so is that's the, even that's one further step away. Sure, at least. But also, this is like the opposite of like a you know like the usual situations where you say, "Can you separate the artist from the art?" Because we're kind of going, "Can you separate Nabokov from the art?" He's written something, you know, about stuff that is mm. quite reprehensible. Yeah. But he himself is quite a good guy who's <laughs> yeah. like, I don't want to write about this. I hate it. This guy's awful and things yeah. like that. Like that. So it's like, can you separate this good guy from this horrible work? Mm. Which is great, beautiful work from what I heard. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, un, un, it's very critically acclaimed. When yeah. you say it's beautifully written, like what do you mean? Like, like what is it like when something's beautifully written? Does he just spend a lot of time describing rain and that kind it's of just, stuff? It's just... Because I hate that. No, so it's like um, I also don't like it when it's overly complicated. It's kind of like they, it's sentences that I think I would never be able to write. Yeah, okay. It is a question of focal adjustment, of a certain distance that the inner eye thrills to surmount, and a certain contrast that the mind perceives with a gasp of perverse delight. Yeah, right. When I was a child and she was a child, my little Annabelle was no nymphette to me. I was her equal, a fawnlet in my own right, on that same enchanted island of time. But today, in September 1952, after 29 years have elapsed, I can think, wait, I think I can distinguish in her the initial fateful elf in my life. It's got a beautiful voice, Alex. Al, that, you should read audiobooks. That was <laughs> love. I enjoyed that. Immensely. If I, ever, if I ever write a novel, I want you to read it. Alistair. Really, Andy, Andy? I think you would be unbelievable at reading your own book. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I would get nothing from listening to me reading my book. But no, I know. I feel like it's for you. It's not for places. you. Your book. It's a deepness. Anyway. Anyway, I uh, think that you have a beautiful speaking voice, David. Thank you. You thank can read you. the four forward. Forward. The not forward. For, I would say a forward, but maybe I'm wrong. Forward. Forward. Yeah. It, it, it is. It is forward. Mm. Four words. Yeah. Short. Hi, I'm Andy. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> now, now I'm on tape. You can just put yeah. that in. That's easy to go. Um, how do you How do you feel that that was? Are you Did you get anything out of that, or are you? Yeah, I'm. I'm enjoying it. I like because I, I don't think I'd ever get around to reading the book mm. unless I was narrating it for. Is this a bit longer or... than a lot of the books that you would do? Yeah, like and that's why I was happy to see that it is itself broken up into part one, part two. Yeah. So I could go. Oh, great! I don't have to gloss over it because mm. you know it's know, four hundred pages or something or so, and they're, they're about similar length. Mm. Part one's part two. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those books where it's like um, it it it, it is it is. 
inviting the reader to make the judgment, right? Like yes, it's it, it it might be written from a point of view, but it is it is leaving by putting it in the voice of the you know Humbert himself, and by sort of stepping back in that way, the author is like is leaving it up to the putting the pieces there and letting the reader draw their own conclusions. And um, I think uh, you know that 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 can be exhausting you know like it's a it's a demanding thing to 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 for the for the for the reader to sort of having to be trying to absolutely and i often often find uh, a novel can be tough going if i don't like anyone in the novel Mm. and with this it's very much about this guy who you do not like at all ever Mm. yeah it's never really any in the first half anyway there's no redeeming thing where you're like oh yeah it's just like no i'm not into this Mm. and for me, as when, when I read stuff, I find it yeah it can be tough going when you don't like anyone. Mm. You're not rooting for anyone. Mm. It's just. But then you know yeah, I, but 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 art should be allowed to be whatever it wants to be. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, um, yeah. But, you, you should be able to depict bad people, I suppose. Yeah, and then again, when I read the sentences and I go, oh man, I wish I could ever write something as nice as that. Yeah, I mean those sentences, as well as being beautifully read, were beautifully written as well. Yeah, mm. and it is just. Obviously, hundreds of pages of of that. And yeah. So, it, yeah, I guess that's why people absolutely love it because mm. it is so well written. But at the end of part one, I always get the guests to score it out of five, as we've heard it so far. Mm. Well, well, so far, uh, I'm enjoying it. It mm. feels like it's a it's a it's a story that feels like it's interesting. So I'm gonna say. Three and a half. Three and a half out of five mm-hmm. from Alistair. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I'm going to give it a, a four out of five because, you know, just because that little bit of text we heard sounds amazing and it does sound very compelling, but, I, like, it's not something I would read because it would make me very upset. I yes. don't like I don't like things with problems kids, in them. I like getting hurt. silly stuff. Yeah. Right? But... Uh, uh, can I just remind you, Picnic... Lightning. Yeah. Yeah, that did... Humbert, that... Humbert. <laughs> she slipped on wet cement. <laughs> Look, if if that was all it was, I'd say mm. it's a little short, sure. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it did make me... It, it's something. It's got, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, but, and, and, uh, but I also do think that the coincidences in it, as they come to me from you reading it like that, of describing it, they disappoint me a little. I'm like, too many coincidences... Right, so I'm. That's why I'm not giving it five stars. Okay, so four from you. I'm also yeah. going to give it a four out of five. Do struggle with the uh, the subject matter. Oh, obviously the subject matter yeah. as well. And just because I'm with you, that I when I read things, I like to I find the enjoyment from enjoying it. Enjoying it, yeah. <laughs> oh, this, you're weird like that. Yeah, aren't you? you know, some people imagine are just into how well written it is, and for me, mm. that redeems it a bit. Cause that's that's all I'm hooking onto. It's a maybe it's a writing. You know, it's, it must be. A, what a, what a test of your ability as a writer to write someone who is irredeemable, right? And then say, well, well I'm going to just write it so well that people are still going to like the book. And also to, to live in that character's mind for years. I can mm. see why you'd wake up in the middle of the night and be like, I want to burn this. This is mm. yeah. really ruining my mind. Also, I don't necessarily think there's that many coincidences. I think the taxi thing sounds like something that was completely pre-planned. It's a coincidence. Right? The slipping thing... I understand that it's like, you know, look, it's a bit of a coincidence or something, you know, that she got hit, but she was being frantic and kind of run, running crazily. Alistair, I've given it half a star more than you. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I just, I know, I know that this coincidence thing is your new bugbear. Yeah, that's right. You know, so I, 
I just thought I thought I'd question a little bit so that you can reflect upon your own decisions. I apologize. When all you have is one criticism, you start to see everything as a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, but it but it well well maybe you're right, Alistair. In a similar way, I keep listen I keep watching movies and going there's not enough here this isn't a real this isn't a movie it's so simple mm. like that and then I keep going hating movies for silly reasons like that I can I can feel the writing you're allowed to hate it for whatever reason you want I know but then I also you know who cares who cares what my opinion is Al is right to point out that my criticism of Lolita that there are too many coincidences <laughs> is the same as my criticism of the movie Most Extreme Primate that we watched <laughs> for Matt's Primates <laughs> it's only just occurred to me that I have used exactly the same and and as such I would like to say that the the two films of the that Lolita and Most Extreme Primate um Movie about a snowboarding <laughs> chimp are exactly the same or equally as good. Yeah. <laughs> They're both four out of five. Yes, both four out of five, both um, <laughs> one of the defining texts of the last hundred years. Yeah, most valuable primate. I would love to be in back in year 11 literature class and trying to do a comparative analysis of the two texts, uh, <laughs> most extreme primate and... Lolita, and I would like to say that, in retrospect, Humboldt Humboldt is the most extreme, <laughs> most vertical, or uh, just most extreme, most extreme, most extreme. In, that, <laughs> in that his yeah. actions are inappropriate, Correct. the most inappropriate, in an extreme way. Mm-hmm. And also, he went to Antarctica, where there is ah, ice. Arctic. Arctic. But a penguin wouldn't be able to tell the difference. I don't <laughs> think. That's true. Mm. Have they done that? They've dropped one off in the Arctic. See how it goes? <laughs> I think they should. Throw, throw, I've, I've been, throw I've been, it out of helicopter. What else are we going to do at yeah. this point? What, what else is science? Look at, look at him. He doesn't. He can't tell. <laughs> he hasn't yeah. got a clue. Looking around. Huh. Look, look, look on his face. <laughs> yeah, you can tell from the look. I, yeah. uh, I, I have to com- ad- 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 con- uh, admit that that was a sketch idea we came up with about three years ago. Oh, really? The, the I also <laughs> should admit that um, when I said the name Gravel earlier, that's a joke that my friend Sam Rankin does. He he used to troll the Steven Seagal fan page by <laughs> writing comments on there about his daughter Gravel. <laughs> all, all his anecdotes in response to people's serious comments about how much they love Steven Seagal were anecdotes about his daughter Gravel. <laughs> anyway, he's hilarious. Uh, look him up. That sounds so funny. Before we go, could we quickly as a palate cleanser here? Mm-hmm. Would mm-hmm. we be able My to? My palate is filthy. Yeah, oh, it's gross. We got to get that taste out of our mouth. Got By um, the people support the show on Patreon, mm-hmm. and they then uh, tell me their favorite book, and I read out their name and their favorite book to say thank you to them. Great. Would you mind if I told you three names of three books right now? I, I would wouldn't love mind. That. You tell me. Thank you very much too. And if you want to support the show, it's patreoncom pod because you're, you're supporting Do Go On and uh, this show, which is a spin-off as well as Primates that we just mentioned, the spin-off of Do Go On. And uh, this week, writing in to tell me their favourite book, Emily Hutton. Emily Hutton says, "I've got a bunch of favourite books because I was a lit major and in general a big old nerd, aren't we all?" Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> but. One of my favourite books by one of my favourite authors is so shout-out worthy. It's by Octavia Butler, who nobody knows about, but she was a huge figure in intersectional sci-fi history. Oh, cool. She was the first black woman to win a Hugo Award, which for the non-dorks is like the sci-fi Pulitzer, and she's been called the Grand Dame of Science Fiction, which is such a dope title. It is. 
My favourite book by her is the first of her Lilith's is the is the first book of her Lilith's Brood, the Exogenesis trilogy, and it's called Dawn. It's basically about the world ending and humanity being saved by a bunch of aliens who want to help save humans from themselves by crossbreeding both species. It's wild. Yeah, cool. That sounds like that. real science fiction. Yeah, science yeah fiction. totally. Sex with aliens, that's science fiction. Yeah. yeah, I would love to have sex with aliens. Yeah? Well, maybe. I don't know. I'm not even that interested in sex. But <laughs> <laughs> right. with aliens, yeah. I think, feel like that's really spicing yeah. it up. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for writing in. Uh, Verena Limper tells me favorite book, uh, Midnight's Children by Selman Rushdie. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. I've heard of that guy. Yeah. It's I've a... never read any of his books. Have you read any no, of No, I haven't. No. You know, I have a fatwa out on him. <laughs> you do? <laughs> yeah. We, and you just refuse to re- recall it. Well, you know, he still upsets me. Yeah, okay. Um, is Midnight's Children, is that the one that he got the the... Um, fatwa for no satanic oh, verses. Satanic yes, that's there. right. Yes, you should do satanic verses on here. Well, See I, if you can get yourself well, a fatwa. Well, I get a fatwa. Secondary you... fatwa. Oh well, <laughs> fatwa by association. Yeah, yeah. secondhand fatwa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this one is about a child who is born at the time of India's independence from Britain and tells the magical family history of this child, which is intrinsically linked to the history of India and Pakistan. It was a real surprise when I started reading this book from my reading list on Indian literature at uni. I hadn't expected anything like this. Really blew me away, and I frequently recommend it to mates. So now you recommend it to us. Thank you, Verena. That Appreciate means that, that we're all mates now. Yeah. Yes. Thanks. Thanks, mate. Mate. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. And finally, uh, Chris Kerr writes in to say, my favorite book is City of Thieves by David Benioff. It's about a young – we're going around the world here. It's about a young Russian man in Stalingrad while the city is being cut off and starved in World War II. Uh-oh. He's caught stealing from a dead paratrooper and brought to a general in the Russian army. Him and a fellow prisoner, a handsome Russian, Russian soldier, I'm getting into a lot of detail here, mm-hmm. are sent back to Stalingrad to collect a dozen dozen fresh eggs. Oh, I have heard of this. A dozen fresh eggs so that the general can bake his daughter a wedding cake. If they collect them, they will be set free, and if not, they'll rot in jail. It's very funny at times, but absolutely brutal at others. It's a great short read. City of Thieves. City of Thieves. Stalingrad, all that stuff. Oh, I saw the movie about that. What's mm. it called? The Pianist? Mm, no. Oh, no, that's the Warsaw Ghetto, isn't it? Maybe Enemy at the Gates? Is that something? Don't yeah, know. yeah. Anyway. Uh, Lock seemed, the gates! Seemed real grim. Yeah, Mark Maron was in it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks, everyone, that supports the show on Patreon. Uh, you are the best. Appreciate that. And there were three very different uh, suggestions for books that maybe you guys would like to check out. Thanks to mm. everyone uh, for sending those in. And uh, before we go, we've got to tell them about your fantastic podcast. Again? Again. It's, right. it's called Two in the Think Tank. I don't think you explained this. Yeah, so you, the sketch element you didn't we explain. We come up with sketch ideas in this podcast where, you know, me and Andy, we talk, and then we find something that feels like something you could turn into a comedy sketch. Like taking a penguin to the <laughs> Arctic That's and funny. then mocking it for not being able to tell the difference. Yeah. That's very funny. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. You know, or, or other sketch ideas. you got to listen to an episode to get an idea of what it is. But it doesn't sound appealing to a lot of people, I think. No, I don't think it sounds appealing to anybody. But, and so but, the people who do listen have overcome something already. Yeah, but we have we have a, a, a decent listener base who seem committed. And yes, they, they, they keep, like it. They keep coming back. And we know just from this week's episode, you were able to make Lolita funny. Imagine if you didn't have the constraints of that text, how funny you could be. Ah, but, you know, creativity thrives within constraints mm-hmm. ah, uh, when we're a... free we we flounder day <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> having said that still check out the pod 
Yeah, good a good a good place to start with that with that two in the think tank is to go online and type in onto YouTube and type in two in the think tank two hundredth episode. And then there's a, there's 17 hours of live us live streaming our, our 200th episode. Exactly right. And like the first 50 pages of Lolita, if you can get through that, yeah. you'll be fine. It's yeah. a real Stockholm Syndrome type thing. Correct. Mm-hmm. Dave, where can the listeners find you? They can find me uh, reading. Yeah. Every day. Every day. Uh, now you can uh, listen uh, to the other episodes of Book Cheat, obviously. We, we're over a year in now. We celebrated a year a couple of a month or so ago. Thank you so much. Inappropriate. And uh, you can always uh, suggest a book, inappropriate or otherwise, via clicking the link in the description of the episode. But, uh, gentlemen, thank you again for joining me. Really appreciate it. You should point out to people that you're going to come back. We're all going to try and Oh, yes, we're going to try and two. find a date to do part two for the next episode. In we should have really of- mentioned that earlier. People would be like, well, you just stopped at the end of part one. No, we will be back with part two. That's right. Dave Warnicke will return. With part two. Yeah. (laughs) Are you doing any other books in between? No, no. So this will be the next episode that comes out. Yeah. And uh, if schedules permit, I'm hoping that we can all come back. Unless Mm. you off mic tell me, Dave, that was awful. We can't (laughs) joke about that again. (laughs) I'll have to sub someone in. Do they go to Europe in the second half of the book? Um, I'm only a little bit in, so yeah, I don't. Right. I just love it if the subtitle for Lolita uh, for the next episode is Lolita Part Two: European Vacation. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they go to Europe. I'm really hoping it is. Aren't they already in Europe? No, they're in America. They yeah, America? they're road tripping at the Mo. Oh yeah, hotel to hotel. Oh, so she was hit by an American car. Yeah, they're big. <laughs> yeah, no wonder. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> We'll, well let you stop your podcast. Yeah, thank you that. so much. And until next week, we'll say what we always say, and that is Books, Books Forever. Books yes. Forever. Yes. First time someone's joined in. Oh, I was no. going to join in. But I'm a big I... fan of the podcast. Yeah. Thank you so I much. I listen every time. Thank you. I haven't listened to all of them, but I've listened to some, and so I apologize. Truly appreciate that, guys. Yeah. All right. Books, Books Forever. forever. <laughs> Lock <See> the gates. <laughs> Chimp out. <laughs> This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.